Amen. Well, it's good. We're in the second week of our series, The Way, the Truth, and the Life. It's based on the uh, verse of, of John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Actually, it's John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And today, we are uh, on the second message, and we're going to talk about sneaky grace. Sneaky grace. You know, grace is sneaky. Grace kind of comes upon us when we don't even realize it's coming. I was thinking about how to start this message off this morning, and uh, the best way I can describe the beginning of, of the, our topic today, or our message today, was to tell you a little bit about, again, about my own life. Because I don't know if you remember the very first time you were consciously aware that there was a God. Do you remember that? I mean, can you, can you think back about a time in your life when you were conscious of the fact that there was a God? I didn't grow up in a Christian home or a home that had any religious practice whatsoever. We did not attend church. Um, I, didn't, I had no idea of anything in the Bible. I was, uh, I, in many respects, I called myself a pagan. My mom and dad were, were religious when they were in their childhood, but when they got married, my mom was uh, from the Catholic faith, and my father was from a Protestant faith, and they couldn't agree, so they decided to do nothing. And, um, and that's kind of how I grew up. And so when I was 11 years old, I lived in this house. This is my home from childhood. It's great to go back on Google and be able to find your house. But I lived in this house in the 1970s on the first floor. Okay, there were three, this was a three-decker. This house, right next door to this house, was a house that was identical, that burned down. There's another house there now. But uh, there was two, double de two, two triple-deckers, and so there were six families that lived there. In the backyard, there was a, there was a big uh, um, uh, parking lot that we used to play baseball and all kinds of things in. But I lived in this home. And um, when my father, who was uh, 49 years old, he had emphysema. He only had one lung. And um, he went to the hospital, St. Elizabeth Hospital in Brighton, Massachusetts. And he was there in the hospital for the last six months of his life. And I can remember that so clearly. I was about 11 years old. My mom would every day, she would get up and take care of us. And then she would get on the public transportation and she would go visit dad. And she would come back in the evening and dad's mom was there. And she, she, uh, she kind of took care of us during that time. And, um, and so towards the end of my father's life, I can remember feeling this, this, this incredible sense of loss and wonder about, about life, even as an 11-year-old, that I, go, I went into my mom and dad's bedroom, and on the very bottom of the, uh, of the, of the bureau, of my mother's uh, bureau, there was a, a, a drawer that was full of old religious Catholic books. There might have even been a Bible in there. I don't know. I couldn't tell you if there was a Bible or not. But I remember sitting on the floor and flipping through these books, and I remember so clearly this overwhelming sense that God was present. Now, I didn't fully understand it then. It was only later in life as I came to know God 
and experience God and know him personally in my own life that I look back and I could say consciously, that was the day, the moment that I sensed knowing God for real. Like he was present, like he was moving in my life. And it was like God was saying, I'm here. And I didn't know who he was. I didn't have a, an idea of anything about him. But this was the beginning, I believe, of, of, God, of an awareness that there was a God and that God loved me and cared about me. Now, it wasn't for another five years after that that I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time on Easter Sunday, 1982, where I heard the message of Jesus and I was saved. But God was at work in my life long before I got saved. And today we're going to talk about that kind of grace. We call it seeking grace or sneaky grace or the, the, the theological term is prevenient grace. It's the grace of God that works in our life long before we ever know that he is there. We're in this series called The Way, The Truth, and The Life, and we are, we, are, we are discovering that grace is not an it. Grace is a person. Jesus is the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the embodiment of God himself. He is God himself. He came and he dwelled among us. And he sits right now at the right hand of the Father. And the very presence of God is the grace of God. But grace has multifaceted. In other words, it's personified and, and, and we experience grace at different times in our lives. And we all can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And grace is amazing but grace is more than just saving grace, more than just sanctifying grace. Grace is also seeking and seeking us. And so this grace, who is a person, who is Jesus, is a grace. So grace is personified over the course of our lives. And in this series, we are walking through these five different ways that grace intersects with our life. The way that Jesus intersects. This way of discipleship that we are talking about. There is, first of all, seeking grace. That's what we're talking about today, is seeking grace. There is saving grace. We're going to talk about that next week. There is sanctifying grace. There is, a, there is sustaining grace. And then there is sufficient grace. And really, I mean, you could go on and on talking about other kinds of grace. There is healing grace that, you know, that, that comes in our life. There's comforting grace. When, when we lose a loved one, when we go through despair in our life, we need that sufficiency, that grace, that comfort that comes. All of it is Jesus who is made known to us through the Holy Spirit today in our day and time. And so that's what we want to talk about. So prevenient grace, here's a definition for you. Prevenient grace simply means that God comes to us before we come to God. Catch that. God comes to us before we come to God. God's grace seeks us out and comes to where we are. 
And here's my hope and prayer that in our small groups in this semester, that each and every one of you could take some time in your small groups if you're in a group, and that you would share with your group members the time, just like I shared with you, that you became aware of God's presence. Aware of God's presence. You, you knew it was God, but you didn't maybe fully understand. It was the first time you can cognitively remember. Now, God is even there before you remember God is there. He's always there. And he's always drawing us. But there is a time when all of a sudden you become aware of that. Now, some people run from that. Some people push God away. Some people that scares the living heck out of them. You know, they're like, whoa, I don't even want to deal with this. But, but for some of us, it's a, it's a movement. You're like, wow, I, I'm, I want to know more of that. So today, as we look at our scripture, we want to talk about the, the grace that goes before us. The grace that goes before. And there are four things I want you to see today in our text in Acts chapter 10, which is the account of Cornelius and his family coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And how God was at work in his life long before he even knew there was Jesus. It's really the, by the way, in the book of Acts, it is the, it is the longest story and account of any one person even beyond the Apostle Paul and his conversion. It's, it's a story. It, it covers Acts chapter 10. It actually floods into Acts chapter 11. And really this impact of this story goes into chapter 12. And there was a great church fight over this event. Now I'm not going to get into all those details that take me much too long this morning. But I want to focus our attention upon this grace. Acts, for those of you who are new to the Bible, is the, the historical record of the early church. It's the very church history book, okay? So it's describing the events after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension back to the Father and the birth of the church. And it's the movement of the church in Jerusalem, into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And God begins to move because Christ did not die for a one group of people. He died for all people, both Jews and Gentiles. And here we find that the gospel touches the Gentiles for the first time. So let's read a little bit. Stand with me. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse number 1. And let's just read um, the first uh, eight verses together. We're going to refer to the entire chapter. But you've already read this already, right? Some of you, praise God. I sent you all a text, and I even emailed you. By the way, if you didn't get a text or an email, that means we don't have your email or your phone number, okay? So fill that out on your response card, and we'll make sure you get on the, on the correct um, line. That, by the way, that text that I send to you, I send personally. It's not my personal cell phone number. It's the church texting number. So you can text me back on that. I get it. So we can do that. But I also have my own personal cell phone that I use. So if you want to call me, use that number, not the texting number, okay? Because it doesn't ring anywhere. It just texts, okay? Just to let you know. All right. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. 
He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Remember last week we learned about Simon, son of John, who becomes Simon, son of Peter. Okay, He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him and, and had gone, Cornelius called his two servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that the Lord had said, that everything that had happened, and sent them to Joppa. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, when grace comes, the, the, the grace that comes before us comes in a couple of ways, all right? First of all, you will find prevenient grace, seeking grace, sneaky grace that comes before you are aware of God when you find that grace or usually at crossroads in your life. In other words, there are going to be times in your life that you are going to be probably more open to hearing the gospel or hearing God work in your life. For example, in mine, my dad was sick. Okay, He was in the hospital for a long time. So there were some things happening in my life that I was, I was aware of my mortality. I was aware of something beyond life itself. And I began to think about God, but I didn't know God. And so God begins to work in our lives at different crossroads. I always discover that sometimes the crossroads might be a, it might be a, you know, a birth of a child. It might be a wedding. It might be a funeral. It might be a job change. It might be an economic collapse. It might be a diagnosis of a sickness that comes on in your life. But there are several different areas in our life when we go through transitions or crossroads in our life that we find that God begins to speak to us. And that's why for those of you who know the Lord and grow in the Lord and you're praying for your one, one of the things you should be looking for is looking at the people that you love and that God loves and determine when is the appropriate time to begin to share with them. When's the appropriate time to share with them the good news? Because there are certain times that God is there. We find in this story this morning that there was a man named Cornelius. He is a devout, God-fearing man. Now, the word, the idea of a go, go, devout, God-fearing man does not mean he's aware of God, the God of Israel, or the God who has revealed himself as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and has now revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He's not aware of that. But he's a religious man who has an idea that there is a God somewhere. He is a, a God-fearing man. The scripture says that he gives generously to those who are in need. And he prayed to God regularly. He prayed to God regularly. And I've discovered that, that even sometimes the person who is not religious prays. They just don't know who they're praying to. They cry out, but they don't know who they're crying out to. They have an awareness that there is something beyond themselves, but they are not aware of knowing that God personally. 
And this is where Cornelius was. He was a, he was in the Italian, he was a centurion, a soldier in the Roman army. He was a devout, God-fearing man. And as he was praying one day, all of a sudden the scripture says, at about, at about three o'clock in the afternoon, he gets a vision. A vision of an angel that comes to visit him. And his response is one, it comes out of nowhere, by the way. He, it's not like it was a typical day. We don't really know what was going on in Cornelius' life. The scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know what's happened prior to this. We don't know the circumstances surrounding this. All we know is that he was praying, that he was a good man. He was aware and he was open. And the scripture says that Cornelius stared at this vision of this angel in fear. In other words, he was like, whoa. Now that word fear doesn't mean he was afraid. This word fear means he had respect. He was aware that there was something there speaking to him. For me, it was like sitting on the floor in my parents' living bedroom and being aware that there was a presence there with me that I could not, I couldn't tell you what it was, but I knew it was something beyond me. And so he's aware of that, and he asked the question, what is it, Lord? What is it you want? And the angel responds and says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. By the way, can I just say this? God is aware of what you give. God is aware of your generosity. God is aware of of how you manage your resources that he is the one who gives to us. And he is aware of your generosity. And it moves the heart of God. We see that right here. He is praying. And, he, and his gifts to the poor had come up as a moral offering before God. And so the angel says to him, Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, he's living in Caesarea, and he, te- he gets this message from the angel that says, send two of your men down to Joppa. Joppa is about 30 miles away. Send him to Simon the Tanner's house, who, who is living by the sea. The address is by the sea. Can you imagine going to find a place by the sea in Joppa? I mean, this is, this, is not, this is not like an address. Like, I could tell you I lived at 47 Wheatland Avenue in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and I could tell you the zip code, and you could go and find that address. But the only address they got was, this is a Simon's house, and it's by the sea. You know? Okay, it's in Joppa. Probably there's only one Simon Tanner living there, so they figured it out. But they tell, he tells him to go there, and he tells him to go and find Simon, who was called Peter. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that Peter is a man of God. Peter had been saved. He was the one who denied. He was the one recommissioned by Jesus. He was the one filled with the Holy Spirit and at Pentecost preaches the good news of Jesus Christ and 3,000 are saved on that very first day. So you know that Peter is a man of the Lord. He is in Joppa. He is there and he is, he is uh, staying at Simon's house. Cornelius has no idea why The angel is telling them to send some men to get Simon Peter. He doesn't know Simon Peter. 
He's never met Simon Peter. But this is the second point of prevenient grace. Grace that goes before you, you find grace when you're curious and it moves you towards God. In other words, this event that happened in, in Cornelius' life, that there was this presence, this angel that comes and speaks to him and tells him to send these men to Joppa to find Simon, that, si that Cornelius is so curious about exactly what this means. He has no idea that the first thing he does is gets up and tells two of his attendants, I want you to go to Joppa and I want you to find Simon Tanner's house by the sea and I want you to, Simon Peter is there and I want you to bring Simon Peter to me. He does it immediately. He does it by faith. He does it because he is responding to the grace of God that he doesn't even know it is God who's trying to get his attention. And that happens so many times in all of our lives. Where God all of a sudden gets our attention through things that we're low. Well, well, well what is that? He's sneaky. Sometimes we, he comes and he moves in our life and we're not aware that it's even God. Now as we grow and develop in our discipleship and our awareness of knowing God personally, we be, should become much more responsive to that grace that's moving in our lives. Remember, seeking grace and saving grace and leading grace, it's not like different kinds of grace. It's just the way we experience it. So God's grace begins to work in us. His presence, the Spirit of God means to work in us. And we become responsive to that grace. But here Cornelius, a man who's devout, a man who has a heart to want to know God, is moving towards God because he's curious about this event that's happened. And so people will respond in different ways. So he sends them out. And then the scripture says this, grace is discovered through a witness because the story turns now. The story turns. After verse number, verse number 8, all of a sudden it says about noon, about noon the following day as they were on their journey approaching the city, okay? So, so the men that Cornelius sends to Joppa to find Simon they are on the next day. They waited to the next day to go because they didn't travel at night. Okay? So it's about noon. So they probably left. Probably, I mean, it's 30 miles away. You don't have Amtrak. There's no buses or cars. So it's going to take you a while to travel that far. You know, even if you have animals, it's going to take you a while. About noon the next day, the following day, they were on their journey and approaching the city. And what happens? Peter goes up on a roof and begins to pray. He begins to pray. Now remember, Cornelius, the day before that, was praying regularly. He was praying when God showed up. Well, Peter now, unbeknownst of what happened the day before in Caesarea, is going up to pray, and he says he became hungry and wanted something to eat while, it was, while the meal was being prepared. Noon, hunger, you know what that's like, right? He fell into a trance. And he receives a vision, a vision. And the vision is very, very odd to him. One that is odd to you if you read it for the first time this week. He receives a vision of this, of this he's, he's like in a sleep and he sees this large sheet 
that's in the sky. And it's being pulled from each corner, which, which kind of represents the north, the south, the east, and the west. And inside that sheet are all of these four-legged animals. And all of these animals are there. And, and the word comes in the dream, kill and eat them. It's okay. Now, for a Jewish person, they had all of these dietary laws. All of these laws that restricted them eating certain kinds of meat in certain kinds of ways. And so for... For Peter, who was a devout Jewish Christian, who is following the dietary laws to the nth degree, he would say, no, 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 no. Those, that, that kind of food is unclean. That's clean. This is unclean. And I stay away from unclean things. I stay away from unclean people. I don't mix with uh, different races. I mean, I, I am a clean person. But he gets this vision from God that he's to do this. Now, that's a whole nother sermon for another time. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But the, Peter has this vision of the large tree. It kind of looks like this. I found a cartoon picture of it. Just to kind of give you a visual, okay? Because when you read it, you're like, well, that's weird, you know? So while he's getting this dream, guess who shows up at his house? Simon Tanner's house. The scripture says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. Catch this. The prevenient grace of God was working in Cornelius' life. Well, that prevenient grace of God was also working in Peter's life. He was like, what does this mean? He is also curious, wondering. And while he's doing that, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was. They probably had to ask a bunch of people in town, okay? Hey, do you know this guy? He lives by the sea, you know? And they stopped at the gate, and they call out, Hey, is Simon, is Peter there? Hey, Simon, the tanner, is Peter there? And the scripture says that... While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. I love the fact that the Spirit says to Peter, do not hesitate. Because I think there are times in my life and your life where we get promptings of the Holy Spirit and we hesitate to follow them. We hesitate to, to act upon those promptings. I've learned in my own life, and you've probably learned in your life at times, that you have missed something because you didn't listen and follow when the Spirit prompted you. And I believe that Cornelius' first hesitation when he got the vision was, no way, no way, no way. I'm a Jewish man. I would never do that. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm giving you permission to do that. This is a new day, a new time. I am breaking the old laws of Moses that were for the dietary, and I am moving to a new age and a new time of the Spirit. It's okay. And so when he gets the message to go with these guys, he's like, they're Gentiles. 
You want me to go with them? Oh, 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 okay. I'm not sure, sure I want to. I mean, would you want to go with somebody to another town 30 miles away and you didn't even know them? There is hesitation there. But the grace of God works through your life, prompting you to help somebody else's life. Now catch this. 30 miles away, God speaks to two different people, one day at a part, to connect together. Unbeknownst to them, without them knowing each other. And they're going to cross racial lines. Highly controversial in those days. But God was breaking down some walls that need to be broken down. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He eventually goes. And when he gets there, guess what he discovers? He discovers that Cornelius has invited all of his friends there. He's invited all of those of his Roman Gentile friends to be at the house. They're all waiting there. Now remember, there's no cell phones. There's no text messages. There's no email. There's no way to know that the men are coming back. But when they get there, they discover... You know, that, that Cornelius is ready for them. And Peter goes walking into the house. And they begin to ask him questions. They say, well, I had a dream, uh, a vision of an angel who said this to go get you. And they kind of go back and forth about their own experiences back and forth. And then finally, here's what, here's what Peter does. Peter begins to share with them about Jesus. While, he says, we are witnesses. Now catch this. In verse number, I didn't put this on the screen, but it says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Can I get an amen to that? He does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, the baptism of John, that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all, the, who, uh, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So where does he start telling the story? He starts telling the story all the way back to the time that he heard about Jesus. Remember last week, we looked at the calling of Peter for the first time. And what would happen? John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus. He calls him the Lamb of God. The very next day, Jesus is passing by and John says, look, the Lamb of God. And what did his two disciples do? They start following Jesus. Kind of like creepy following Jesus, you know? And Jesus turns around and says, what do you want? We want to go to your house, he says. And they go, and finally they get to the place where they get to know Jesus. That's where Peter starts. He starts sharing his story. He starts testifying what has happened to him. 
That's how you may, are, are used by God to touch other lives. You tell your story. You are a witness. And then he goes on to say this. We are witnesses of everything. He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You remember where Peter ate and drank with him? Remember he was on the shore. Peter was out fishing. He comes back and he runs all the way back and he, and he sits there and he eats with Jesus. And he remembers what Jesus instituted with the, with the communion that they would eat together. He says, he commanded us to preach the pe to people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge as the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about that and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What does Peter do? Peter goes and shares the gospel with Cornelius and his entire family and friends who are there in his house to a Gentile. He shares the good news of Christ. He didn't know that that was his mission, but he, when he got there, he realized, wow, that's what that whole vision was all about, which then leads to the fourth place that prevenient grace gets to us. Now catch this. The grace that goes before us is the grace that will bring conviction in your life. It will bring conviction. Because what happens to Cornelius and his family and friends when they hear the good news? Now, they're God-fearing people, but they become aware of the God who has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And they hear the gospel message of his death and his resurrection for the very first time. Notice what the scripture says. Catch this. While Peter was still speaking, he's still talking, he's still sharing the good news. These words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The Holy Spirit comes on them. And all of a sudden, they are aware. And you know what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit comes on you? Here's what the Spirit does to you when, when you are first made aware that there is a God, he has died for you, that he died on a cross for you, that he was buried in a tomb, that he rose again from the dead. You become aware of your own sinfulness. You are convicted the word convicting is also the word convincing. You are convicted or convinced of your own need of a Savior. And you become aware of sin. You are guilty. You are full of shame. And you need the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. While Peter was speaking, while he was speaking, the scripture says, while he was being a witness and tell him, he says, about, he says, all the prophets about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
That grace comes upon him and they are convicted. And the scripture says, now the scripture tells Jesus said this about the spirit, the Holy Spirit. He says, but I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor who is the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. In regard to sin, he says, because men do not believe. Five years after that encounter I had with God in the house in Dorchester, Massachusetts, just before my dad passed away, I was living about 35 miles away in a town called Wareham, Massachusetts. I was living in a foster home. I was unaware of God. My mother was now a Christian, living in the same town in another place. And I began doing my thing, having my life, and she calls me up on Thursday, the day before Good Friday, and says to me, would you go to church with me on Easter Sunday? You guys know that story. I've told you it many times. But I just want you to see how the prevenient grace of God works. I was aware. I was further away from God at that point. I was like, I don't want anything to do with God. And I don't want anything to do with your, uh, the, that church that mom you're going to. And so my response to her was, no, mom, I'm not going. I was resistant to God. I got off the phone and my foster father at the time, you know the story, I've told you the story, if you haven't heard the story, but simply this, he got it and he says, it's still your mother, and if she wants you to go to church, it won't hurt you. You're going. And so I was made to go to church that Easter Sunday morning. And that Easter Sunday morning, I was sitting on the second row because there was a pretty girl sitting there. And that Sunday morning on Easter, the best Sunday to go to church, especially for a non-believer, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly. And as I stood there at the conclusion of the service, the Holy Spirit fell on me. My heart began to race. My palms were sweaty I was holding on to the pew in front of me as the invitation was given. And it was like God was saying to me, Kevin, I love you. I'll forgive you of all your sins and give you a brand new start. I had conviction. This is a movement of God in your life. And so you have crossroads, you have curiosity, you have witnesses that witness into your life, and I had many witnesses. My brother was witnessing to me all the time. My mother was witnessing to me. The preacher was witnessing to me. And ultimately, I had to come to a place to decide, do I follow or do I not? And through his prevenient grace working in you, he gives you the power to choose. You can choose to resist, 
where you can choose to receive. He is longing for you to receive him. Which then you experience what we'll talk about next week. Saving grace. It's beautiful. Amen. Cornelius' life is radically changed in a powerful way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The worship team is going to come as we sing together. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, for the first time, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to be my Savior. God has been working in my life at crossroads and curiosity. I've had witnesses in my life. I am under conviction about sin and shame in my life. I've been, I've been trying to deal with this myself. But God says, I offer you through my son Jesus Christ full forgiveness of sins, clean conscience, my friends, purity to God. He offers to you, all you need to do is receive him. Amen? So if you would like to receive him today, I'm going to simply ask you, come and stand with me in the front for a closing prayer. Let me pray with you. It's as simple as asking. You don't have to plead. You don't have to bargain. All you do is say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. And he will do a brand new thing in you. Stand with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for teaching us about this grace that, is, that is, goes before we even know you. Grace that moves in our hearts. Grace that draws us to yourself. God, would you do a work of drawing us right now as we sing together our closing song? Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who does not know Jesus at this early hour in this service, that you would bring them to the place where they'll say, yes, Jesus. Help them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.